If the woman had ever left you alone I ain't the woman turned you cold as stone Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. If I can help you with your music career, whether that's becoming a client or just simply a private one-on-one online video consultation, by all means, means let me know i have been doing so for artists across the u.s since 2004 and would love to help you as well get in touch through the email address podcast at nhte.net which is also where you can write to with comments about the show i'm always eager to hear from listeners with any feedback that you have Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Nashville, my guest is a vocalist and award-winning songwriter who just released a new single at the end of October. He is the owner of Gray Sound Recording Services and is a producer, senior mixing engineer, and the creator of the Before You Record course. His work has been recorded in many countries and by the likes of the legendary Merle Haggard, plus Randy Hauser, and many others. In his early career, my guest toured coast-to-coast for several years and has shared the stage with the likes of Lady A, Lee Bryce, Big and Rich, and more. You've been hearing a song of his called Little Black Heart. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Drew Smith. Bruce, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. Thank you, Drew. Great to have you on the show. Let's kick things off by having you share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Little Black Heart, especially since I was talking over it and they couldn't hear the lyrics. Man, Little Black Heart was... um that that was one that that took a while to write. I wrote that with one of my very best friends in the world, Jason Jones. And Jason is one of those guys that, um, first of all, he's he's one of my very favorite songwriters in town, and has been for a number of years. Um, and and I thought that before he and I became really great friends. But he's one of those guys that really really inspires me as a songwriter. And we used to sit around and, and shoot ideas. We still do. We shoot ideas back and forth through text and email and voice notes and, and things like that. And Jason had this title, Little Black Heart. And he sent it to me. And I think that was all that was in the text. It just said Little Black Heart. Hmm. And uh, and I said, man, I don't, I don't know. That sounds morbid. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what is that even about? And he's like, I don't, I don't know, but I like it. And he had heard it somewhere you know he'd heard somebody say it or you know something and um man we shot ideas back and forth on that song for months and in the time that we were doing that we had probably written probably a dozen songs together that were not that song and Mm -hmm. uh one day we sat down to write and one of us brought up the title and it just fell out And so one of my favorite things about that song, I I do love that song itself, but one of my favorite things about it is that it reminds me that the song will happen when it wants to. You're kind of at its mercy. Mm. You know, you can write it if it's not ready, but it's not going to be right. Mm. And so for me, some songs, you just have to wait on them to show up. And and to do that, that means that you've got to show up every day. That's the important thing, because if you don't show up, they won't. So, um, yeah, that's one of my very favorite songs, man. And thank you for playing that. But so let's talk to those in the audience who are aspiring performers, because you mentioned that all he texted you was Little Black Heart. And I think that it was episode 404 last month when my guest was Justin Bilton, and he's the bass player for Three Doors Down, and we talked on that episode about the idea of someone just has a title, and I said to him, can you really write a song just based on someone coming in with a title? So in that case, you know, someone texts you Little Black Heart, and 
help me through this, Drew, because if I'm the person receiving that text, I'm looking at it and I'm going, what am I supposed to do with that? So is your advice to the aspiring performer who's listening right now, is it follow right up and say, you know, what is that? Is it, is it start working on it? Because I, I think the temptation is to go, huh, I wonder what that is. Well, next time we do a right, I'll ask this person. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think it probably varies, you know, from person to person. But for, for me, when I see something like that or hear something that is enticing to me, I start chasing it immediately. Mm. Because if I, if I don't, I feel like it's, it's very much a missed opportunity because there's something about hearing a line, whether it's someone in a, you know, uh, at Starbucks, two tables down from you, a couple that's breaking up or, you know, what, whatever, somebody reading a paper, a line, whatever it is that kind of, that sparks that where you go, Ooh, that's, that's something mm -hmm. it's best to chase it then. And even if it doesn't happen, then that's okay. But the, the point is that you started chasing it. Mm. And I think that's important because it, if, if you don't, it's, it's kind of like those things will crawl away from you. They go, okay, you don't want me. That's cool. I'll, I'll go find somebody else. Wow. And, and that's how I like to treat it because I don't want anybody else to have that idea. I want it. Yeah. You know, so I, I try to immediately show it attention. And again, to not have the answer immediately is totally fine. Okay. Like I said, Jason and I, we, we sent that thing. We sent lines and verses and ideas and pieces of choruses and melodies and all of those things. I mean, this went on for months. I'm not exaggerating. This went on wow. for months. And, and it would just be out of the blue, just like that night when he just sent me the one line of a little black heart. I'd be sitting on my couch, you know, two months after that. And he would have, you know, a verse. And I knew that it was about little black heart, mm. you know, and maybe, maybe we had text each other earlier that day about a different song idea. But he was, he was always chasing it. And I would, you know, every once in a while, the same thing would happen to me. I would think of an idea for it and I'd put it down and I'd send it to him. And, but the point was, that, is that we were chasing it. We were actively pursuing that song. And I think when it happened, I think we finally got it right. But yes, I absolutely uh, suggest that if you have something that hits you in a way that excites you and makes you want to go write it, you know, there's really no excuse anymore, uh, Bruce. We've got, you know, these, we have recorders in our pockets now. And I've been writing songs long enough to where, you know, I know when guys used to have to take around the little Zoom recorders. Yeah. Or little tape recorders, like cassette tape recorders, you know. And so now there's no excuse to not start working on it if you're driving or if you're in the library, run to the bathroom you know, <laughs> and, and sing, sing a melody into your, in, into your phone if you have to, whatever it takes. Yeah, I suggest addressing it. Here's the other cool thing is that the fact that this is a co-write, you know, I've talked before about songwriters who will never finish a song. They're just never satisfied with it and they'll tweak it and they'll change it and they'll put it aside and they'll come back to it and they just never finish it. And so in a case like this, even though you said it probably took us a good five or six months, the fact is someone's always thinking about it and coming back to the other one and saying, hey, remember Little Black Heart? What about this for the bridge? As opposed to you being the only writer on it and saying, you know what? This song is frustrating the hell out of me. I'm just going to push it to the side and for all intents and purposes, probably never come back to it or you never actually record it because you're just never happy with it. So at least there's that little bit of, I don't even want to so much say accountability, but someone else that's kind of pushing back and saying, well, hey, I got something for it. And that song is going to get worked on. Man, you know what? You, you nailed it um, by saying accountability because that really is, that's so much of it. And that's why I always recommend for young writers. And I don't mean young in age. I mean, people that are, that are just starting uh, to really get into songwriting. It doesn't matter if you're 16 or if you're 60, if you've just started songwriting um, or you've been songwriting for a, a little while, um, I always recommend finding someone that you can collaborate with because, again, you nailed it when you said accountability. There's something about having someone on the other end that, that holds you accountable especially when they're sending you little ideas 
and it, it, it almost inadvertently kind of guilts you into working on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you yeah. go, man, they've sent me like three ideas on this. And I, <laughs> I should probably, I should probably send them something back. <laughs> I think it absolutely helps. And for me doing it as a job, I, I couldn't sit in a room. I would love to be able to say that I could do this, but I, in all honesty, I, I can't, I don't have the attention span for it. I couldn't sit in a room by myself for four or five, six hours a day mm. writing a song. But when a publisher books you a co-write with someone, you know, with one or two other people and those people show up, you're all without even trying to, you're all holding each other accountable. And you're saying, well, we're here for the duration yeah, yeah. and and we're going to put in our time on this today. And if we finish a song, that's great. And if we don't, that's okay too, but we're going to put in our time. That's right. That's right. Well, folks, someone like Drew, who, as you will hear, runs Gray Sound Recording Services, knows how vital it is that you deliver the best sound possible on all your music projects, whether that's recording, live streaming, anything that your audience will hear. I have heard the difference in the episodes of this show that I've been putting out since I switched to a unit made by Sentrance that doubles as my audio interface and my handheld recorder for on-location interviews. Sentrance... It's like the word entrance with a C at the beginning makes a similar unit for musicians and podcasters, by the way, yes, you can get the one that I have. But for those of you doing music, this is something that has professional quality preamps and has input jacks to allow for microphone or instrument. And on last week's episode, I told you a couple of the pros that are using it. And this week I want to mention two more being Will Lee, the longtime bass player in the band on the David Letterman show, who says, quote, I'm loving the mixer face for bass. It's quickly becoming my go-to for practicing and recording, end quote. Jordan Rudis from Dream Theater, who, by the way, was the guest on episode 162 of the show, says of the mixer face, quote, amazing interface with very high-end sound, makes high-quality recordings on the road, end quote. For my audience, there is a special offer. Go to my show website, nhte.net, and click on the Mixer Face ad. It's in the right-hand column on desktop, or scroll way down near the bottom on mobile to see it. Click their ad, and when you order from Centrance, they'll not only give free U.S. shipping, but when you put in the code BRUCE, you'll get a free watertight accessory case to carry your Mixer Face in. Drew, as many accolades as I read off during the intro, I still don't feel I did you justice. For the audience, we're talking about a guest here with RIAA Gold Records. Drew, share with us about those. Man, um, what a cool thing. What a blessing to have that. It's something I've, you know, I've wanted all my life and, and didn't, didn't know if it would ever happen, but I sure wanted it to. Um, got my first gold record on Randy Hauser. Uh, it was, um, it was a song called the singer, which was on his album, how country feels. And that song really changed my life, opened a lot of doors, mm. kept me in publishing deals for years and then got, you know, the gold record on it. And that's, those things are becoming harder and harder to get as we have, because they're based off of sales. Yeah. So now as we have transitioned more into streaming and being able to hand select songs off of an album that we want to download and leave the rest behind um since that's happened cumulative sales have been way way down mm. even on some of the biggest artists uh, that are out right now mm. in any genre uh so to to get a gold record man was I, I can die happy after getting that were there more uh i've had um uh, in canada as well and i'm not sure how that works to be honest with you bruce i, I wish that i mm-hmm. <laughs> wish that i'd looked that up um you know prior to the show but the numbers are different there they do a um they have a different number system there for for their sales and it's like a fraction of u.s sales but i got an award for a song um, I wrote with a buddy of mine, Ben Stennis, a song called Bigger Glass. It was recorded by Danielle Bourgeau and Gord Bamford. And uh, Gord's a, uh, they're both incredible artists. And Gord is, uh, he's, he's, I think they kind of consider him their George Strait 
in Canada. Mm. So that was a cool thing as well. Well, I like that you're mentioning, you know, we started off the show talking about the song that you not only co-wrote, but that you recorded. While you are a songwriter, and although I did mention in the intro that you released a new single at the end of October, there is also the element of writing for other people. Can you talk from that perspective? Yeah, man. You know, that's that's kind of what has paid the bills for the last uh, 11 years or so is, is writing songs for other people. And um, while I am an artist and I, I do record uh, my own, own songs, um, I, I think there are a, a ton of artists that are that can that can sing those songs and and do them much greater justice than I ever could. So, um, but I, I love writing songs for a living. And uh, people ask me this all the time. Uh, they, you know, they they say, so when you when you sit down in a writing appointment with with other co-writers, do you guys sit down with the intentions of writing a song for a specific artist? And that's something that very rarely happens we're usually just trying to write the best song that we can write that day and, and, and try to make it contemporary and follow some of the trends. That's really the, the point is something contemporary, something that's, that's following the trends. If we can, if we can stay a little bit ahead of the curve, that's even better. If we can do something a little different than what everybody else is doing, Mm -hmm. we like to do that as well. Um, but yeah, and to again to write the best song that we can write that day. Okay, but talk about the songs that do end up being for yourself in terms of you mentioned before. Well, this is someone that's a buddy of mine. We've been writing, we've known each other for years. It's we're just texting back and forth. So how are you deciding that? okay, this is a song I'm just going to keep for myself, or this is a song I want to write for myself, as opposed to, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going into a write that was set up for me, and I know this is not for me. Man, that's not always easy. <laughs> um, I, I, go, I go through trends where I kind of get greedy, and I go, oh, I'm going to keep this one. Mm. But really, that's not what I'm getting paid to do. And here's the thing, you know, I, a song like The Singer, um, that was on Randy Hauser's record, uh, and also, um, was a song that Merle Haggard recorded as well. I had initially recorded that song for myself. Wow. That was on my project. Um, Hauser got a hold of it or Hauser's team, Broken Bow Records had gotten it. Um, the president of the company at the time, Benny Brown, and he called and said, we love this song. We're going to record it on Randy Hauser. And, um, and there were four number one singles off that record. That mm. record was great for him, and it changed his life, saved his career, did, did all the same things for me. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, when when we got that call, I immediately said, yeah, absolutely, have at it, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, because for me as an artist, I wasn't – I was in talks with Sony at the time. Mm. But talks don't pay the light bill. <laughs> someone that's already in a major label deal on the same label as Jason Aldean. That's, that's what keeps the lights on. Mm. And so for me, I can't let that get in the way of, uh, sustainability because that's, that's really been my goal in the music business ever since I've got in it. Is I've, I've always said, look, I don't, I, I don't need to make millions and millions of dollars. I don't, I don't need to be, um, the next George Strait or Kenny Chester or whatever. I just want to be around for a really long time. I want to be able to do this mm. for a really long time. And so something like that, I had to get out of my own way and say, well, look, it's going to, it's going to serve me much better if I let someone else record this song exactly. because no one knows who I am as an artist. So if someone that already has an established name, they've got marketing, they've got promo, they've got everything that they need behind them. If they record it, then I get to hang around a little while longer. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. We're going to have folks coming to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment because they know and or follow you, but I've been blessed to get listeners to the show over the years from 155 countries around the world. So for those who are just being introduced to you, can you share the part of your story that involves overcoming substance abuse? Yeah, so... um, there, 
Nashville has, I have to be careful how I, how I talk about this, but, you know, Nashville has, has kind of always been in trends with, you know, whatever is happening at the time, the, um, the poison of choice, if you will. And so at, at that time when I was just coming around, it, it was, um, it was uppers and downers were, uh, running pretty wildly in my circle. And, um, and it was something that I just kind of fell into by complete accident. I mean, by complete accident, mm. uh, I don't think anyone ever, you know, wakes up one day and says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to become a drug addict, <laughs> you know? Uh, and that was certainly not my intentions. Um, what year might this have been approximately? Uh, this started around 2009. Okay. Um, started around 2009. It went on until 2014. Uh, I was, uh, a rehab flunk out. Um, dropout was, is probably the, the better terminology for it because I, uh, I got in there and, and, and kind of panicked just went, Nope, I can't do this. And so I did an outpatient thing for a while. And, um, this, you know, this went on for again, about, about five years or so. Uh, and I had a girlfriend that at the time, uh, that I, I came in from work one day and, um, I had, I'd seen a, a co-creator in the bank that day that was a good friend of mine and I hadn't seen him in a couple of months or so. We hadn't written together in a couple of months and dude, you look terrible. Hmm. You, you, you look awful. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he knew, you know, and for whatever reason it, it, that really bothered me. Hmm. And so I went home that night and I was telling her about it and, and uh, telling her how that bothered me. And she said, well, that's it. That's, I've, we've put up with this for long enough and we're going to go get you fixed. And we did. And there is a great amount of fear that comes with getting clean. Um, especially as a, as a creative, because you've done it for so long at that point, you start to wonder, well, if I, if I stop doing that, and I don't think it's this way. I've even heard one of my very favorite songwriters, one of the best songwriters in Nashville once told me that he put off quitting smoking for years because he thought he wouldn't write the same. Hmm. And it's the same thing with, with any other substance, whether it be alcohol or drugs or uppers, downers, whatever. You kind of get it in your head that, well, I'm not going to operate the same way if I stop doing wow. this. And so to be clear, when you came home and told her about this person that said this to you and she said, that's it, we're going to get you clean. Th- this is, this is well after when you described yourself as, as a flunk out or a dropout. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Unfortunately it was. Okay. And, and there was another part of that being in the entertainment industry. I honestly, I wanted to go to rehab in 2010 because it was, it had gotten out of control pretty quickly. And I wanted to go and I couldn't, uh, or felt that I couldn't, I absolutely could have, but I felt that I couldn't because I'd just gotten in my f- first publishing deal mm. and I thought, okay, so I've just signed this and I've been in this deal for a couple of months. If I go to them and I say, Hey guys, I need a month off to go to rehab. Uh, I'm done. Wow. The ink has barely dried on the paperwork. Wow. They're going to rip up the contract. Mm. If, if I come in here now, whether they would have or not, Bruce, I don't, I don't know. Probably yeah. not because yeah. it's the music industry. It's not anything they haven't seen before, <laughs> but that, that was what it felt like to me. I was terrified that that mm. would be the result if, if I disappeared for 30 days. Um, and I ended up, you know, sometime after that trying to go to rehab and I thought, well, I, cause it had kind of gotten to the point where I thought, well, they're just going to have to, they're, they're going to have to deal with it. And um, for the first couple of weeks of rehab, they don't let you have a phone or anything like that, mm. which is pro- probably a great idea. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I thought, well, you know, they'll, they'll get a hold of, you know, my girlfriend at the time and, uh, she'll tell them what's going on. And then when I get out, if, if I still have a deal, I have a deal. And if I, if I don't, I don't, but I, I'd like to get fixed. And, and, uh, and again, I got in there and, and, panicked and, and, and dropped out and, and checked myself out and left. Wow. And so as a result of that, it went on for a few more years. But that prompting, as you said, 
woke you up and and made you go home and say like this really moved me which which opened the door for her to say okay this is it we're finally getting you clean yeah it really was and and again i you know this guy he was a good friend of mine we'd written a lot of songs together and and i think it was because he's one of those guys that is um he's very much a live and let live and do what makes you happy kind of guy mm. you know as long as it doesn't destroy you yeah and i think and, and i knew that about him and so i think that running into him and having that conversation I went, wow man he's this guy is pretty concerned and <laughs> i if he's concerned then i should probably do that's something right. that's right <laughs> Well, moving on, uh, as much as I try to bring out the fact that the majority of my guests aren't doing just one thing, I don't think it gets old hearing a guest talk about something that they're doing or something that they used to do that has nothing to do with music. In fact, Drew, you worked in emergency medical services? Yeah, yeah, crazy wow. times. Wow. Totally different life. Uh I don't miss it, Bruce. I don't miss it at all. <laughs> so was that I did pre enjoy music, pre music life, or was it during at any point? You know, it, music has has always been a part of everything. So I, I've been playing since I was about ten or so, and writing since I was twelve, uh, thirteen, fourteen. You know, is, is when I I really started digging into that. So music has always been in the background. It's always been there, but yeah, before I was doing it for for a living. I worked in EMS for about four years and, uh, it is very different than sitting down and writing songs every day or mixing records or anything else. Mm. It's, um, it's a little more, um, it's a little more chaotic than making records, not much more sometimes depending <laughs> on who you're working with, but, um, but it, it's a, it's a great job and thank God that there are men and women out there that will get up and go do it every day. And I'll tell you what, I've never been more thankful that I was out of that field um, as I was when this pandemic hit. Mm. Man, that to start thinking about what my life would be like, uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic and the big lockdown and when everybody had to stay home, what a terrifying time it had to have been. Because to me, it was terrifying just to be a human at that time. Like, I, I didn't want to walk outside my door. Um, it's pretty scary thing yeah and to have to go out in it every day and and see the destruction from that and have to be right in the middle of it I, I cannot imagine the pressures of that the way that it had to have uh affected and probably still affects their life at home no their doubt. personal life no doubt um you know because I, I think as a husband or wife when you have a spouse that's going out into the middle of it every day. I cannot imagine being anything other than terrified that was well, this the day that they're going to, they're going to bring it home yeah. Yeah. to to us at the kids, you know? Mm. So, um, I, yeah, super grateful that, that I'm not doing that anymore, but, uh, but yeah, it was a great job at the time. I enjoyed it. I really did. And I had a boss that actually had played for the Oakland Raiders uh, years ago. Wow. And, uh, he called me one night and I was working, I'd been working 24 hour shifts and I think I'd just started working a different shift sometime prior to that. And so in between shifts, I would go and play on Broadway in Nashville Wow. And, or any, anywhere else I could play anywhere they would let me. Mm. And he called me one night and he said, man, I know that this is what you want to do. This music thing and you're, you're running yourself ragged trying to do both. And I, I really was, I'd gotten to the point where I was playing so many shows during the day and in between shifts and things like that. And I'd work night shift at the ambulance service, sleep for a few hours on a friend's couch. Mm. You know, Cause I hadn't moved to Nashville at that point. I was still living about an hour and a half South of town and I'd crash on, on someone's couch for a few hours, get up and, and run to Broadway and play for four hours straight. And then as oh. soon as I finish that up, jump in the car, run back to the you know, ambulance service and go back to work. Wow. And I was really just running myself ragged. And, uh, and he called and he said, you know, I, I know that this music thing is what you want to do. And man, you're really wearing yourself thin. 
But he said, you know, not everybody gets this. He said, but I get it. And it's something that, you know, people that don't have aspirations of that nature to be that one in, you know, 10 million or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, I get that. And he said, I think you have to go do it. Mm. I, th- I think you just, you just have to go do it. And I was like, well, will you, you will just go, just go do it. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, I, th- I think you just got to go do it. I think you need to, I think you need to quit and just jump into it and just do it. Because if you don't, you're never going to, you're going to be, you're going to wake up and you're going to be really, really bitter and mm. angry and disappointed that you didn't take the chance. Wow. Wow. And he said, listen, man, I, I, you know, I, I love, I love having you here. You're great at what you do here, but I think you should go try it. And if you do decide to go try it and it doesn't work out, you come back anytime That's you got awesome. a job here. That's awesome. I hope you send him a big fat thank you card at some point. <laughs> you know what I, I want to do, man? I want, I eventually want to send him a gold record. I got mm. one for my mom and I got one for my dad. Um, you can buy the additional plaques. Uh, okay. Once, once you get a gold record, if you want to buy additional plaques to hand out to team members or, you know, family members or whatever, I got one for my mom and I got one for my dad and I, I still, I would like to get him one and I'm going to do that one day yeah. and uh, I need to track him down and, and, and present him with that. Um, because what a cool thing to do. And I probably shouldn't tell this, but he, he kept me, he, he kept me on their insurance plan mm. for like three months or something, which I'm, I'm not sure that's even legal. Bruce. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but, but he, but he did. And he was very, he was very sincere about me coming back if that's what I needed to do. Yeah. And luckily I, I didn't have to do that, but, uh, but you know what a what a great gift to someone to say I get it. Not everybody gets it, but I get it, and this is what you need to do. And his NFL career ended because of uh, two blown out knees. Mm. You know, so he 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 achieved you know his dream, but it was short lived. I think he only played in the NFL like a few years or so. He like his first or second year, he he blew a knee out, got it repaired, did the rehab, all of that got back on the field, the other side blew, you know? Wow. Wow. So, but, but the point is that that's what he wanted to do. It was that one in 10 million thing, yep. Yep. you know, that, that, and, and he was able to do that. And, uh, so he got it and thank God he did because if, yeah. if, if not for that phone call and if not for coming from someone that I knew really got it, I'm not sure that I ever would have, taking the leap of faith that's right that's right and even though you had mentioned in there that this is you know music is something you had been doing all your life i think you said age 10 and then at age 12 you started writing and there's a really cool story that i saw having to do with you getting a job in radio when you were actually only 14 years old can you tell that one to the audience <laughs> yeah man so um so when i was 14 i uh there's a little radio station a couple little radio stations in my hometown and I, I called one of them. I'd always wanted to be in radio. I, I was obsessed with radio. Loved it, man. Loved everything about it. And I grew up in a time in radio where it wasn't just a bunch of cue cards. Uh, and I'm sure you're the same way, Bruce. Like they were, they were called radio personalities for a reason. It was because they had tons of personality and they brought that to their show. And I loved listening to these people on the radio. And the, the best part about it is that you get to sit and listen to music all day long. Yeah. And you get to talk about music all day long. You get paid to do that. So to me, it was the closest thing to being in the music business. Mm. So I, I called one of the little hometown radio stations here and I said, Hey, I just wanted to see if, if you guys were taking applications. And the lady said, uh, well, I'm, I'm the office manager and, um, really we're, we're pretty well staffed right now, but I love your voice. Is there any way that you could come in and, and fill out an application. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. And she said, okay, well, how about, um, can you, can you come in on, on Thursday at, uh, at 10? I was like, 10, 
I'm in, man, I'm in school. <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to tell her that, but I said, uh, you know, Tim doesn't work. And at the time the schools let out at two 30 uh-huh. in the afternoon. So I said, um, you know, 10 doesn't work. What about three? And, <laughs> and, uh, she said, yeah, yeah. Three's fine. And so I, th- I think it was my mom that picked me up that day from school and drove me to the radio station. And I went up the stairs and, uh, I opened the door and I think I had on my letterman jacket and, uh, and I was in like eighth grade, I think, but I had been marching with the high school band. So I was able to get a letterman jacket that I was real proud of high school letterman jacket. <laughs> I walked in and there's this little lady sitting at the front desk and I said, hi, I'm Drew. And, uh, I had an appointment at, uh, three o'clock today and fill out an application and man, her eyes got big <laughs> and she said, you're, you're Drew. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And I said, Oh, well, let, let me, let me get the manager. <laughs> and, uh, she, she was really blown away by this whole thing, man. And, um, and she, she ended up telling me, you know, she said, I really, I thought you were much older and, uh, so no, no ma'am. I just, I just sound older. And so I went into the, the general manager's office and we sat down and it was a guy named Foxy Griffin and, and his wife was the, uh, was the office manager and she's the one that I'd made mm. the appointment with. Mm-hmm and just the sweetest people in the world. And I sat down with Foxy. He had been in radio for, and you've been in radio, Bruce. So like Foxy Griffin, what better radio name is that? Yeah. yeah. Right. So I, uh, I sat down and we get to talking and, and, uh, he was so sweet to me. He was so kind. And, and we talked about, you know, different things. And he finally said, well, well, who are your parents? And I told him and he said, well, uh, what about who's your grandparents on your father's side? And I told him and hmm. said, who, who are your grandparents on your mother's side? And I told him and he said, Charlie Gray. And I know Charlie Gray. Wow. And they had played basketball together years ago, man, wow. like years ago, I, like before baseball was even invented or something. Crazy. I don't know, man. It, it, was, it was a long time ago. And yeah, they had played basketball together when they were in school. And really that was, that was kind of my saving grace. I think that my voice at the time and just my ambition to want to do it. And so he took me in the production room and, uh, and set me down and he had me, uh, he put a cassette tape in, in this cassette deck and he hit the play record button. You remember how you used to do you hit yep. play and record yep. at the same time and then hit yeah. the pause button. And, um, and everything had at that time was, you know, on CD or on computer, but this, this place was, you know, pretty outdated, but he said, okay, you know, here's, here's the uh, folder that's got all the local news and here's your microphone. And so read through this a few times if you need to. And then when you're ready, just hit the pause button. It'll, uh, it'll mm. disengage the pause and it'll start recording when you're done, hit stop, bring me the tape. And so I, I did all that and I brought him the tape and brought him this folder back with the local news and, uh, man, I don't know. It was, I, a couple of weeks later or so I started coming in on Saturdays and like reading the local news and the weather. Wow. Wow. And, uh, and then it went from there. I, I ended up with a, you know, a pretty solid afternoon shift so cool. uh, on their FM station. So yeah. Cool. It was pretty wild, but finding that common ground really yeah. helped me a lot, yeah. you know? That's all right. Wow. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Nashville by vocalist, songwriter, studio owner, producer, and senior mixing engineer, Drew Smith. Visit his official website at drewsmithlive.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. He is very much on social media. Find links on drewsmithlive.com to engage with him on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and he's even on TikTok. His new single is called The Truth, which we will talk about and play at the end of today's episode. But do support Drew by purchasing downloads of his music from the likes of Apple Music. Although, yes, you can certainly follow him on Spotify, where he has approximately 5,000 monthly listeners. In just a moment, we will be talking about the Before You Record course that he created, including how slash where you can get that. 
Meanwhile, this episode is being released on December 22nd, which means you only have nine days left in the special offer that I gave out two weeks ago on episode 409 during my interview with Carrie Underwood's guitar player, Chad Jeffers. It's an opportunity to save money on the online on-demand class that I have at interviewtipscourse.com, but time is running out because that's good only through December 31st. So now is the time to get that for yourself or for someone else, perhaps as a Christmas gift, or if you're listening to this after December 25th as a late Christmas gift, and get yourself or get them on the way to getting more results from being interviewed on radio, TV, podcasts, etc., Go back and listen to episode 409 with Chad Jeffers to hear my offer and then get the course and see more from the time you invest in being a guest and learn about resources you can use to find more interviews. Drew, you and I both share a similar mindset as it relates to wanting to help aspiring performers. One of the big topics with them that I would love to hear you talk about is publishing deals. Yeah, publishing deals, man, it's... um you know, they're, they're hard to come by today, but they're, they're great. If you can get them, um, you know, right now, Bruce, this is a, and I, I try to say this as often as I possibly can. If there's ever been a time to be an independent artist, this is it. Mm. And I think, I, I think tomorrow will be an even better time than today and the mm. day after that and et cetera. We're just we're in a, we're in a time now with uh, the ability to record things at home, to record things at buddies' houses, or to um, to go into a studio and record a single or an EP or an LP, and and then distribute it yourself, mostly yourself anyway, um, to be able to handle all your publishing things like that. It's a great time to do that. We can we can do that. You can build a fan base, but a publishing deal if your interest is and this is one thing that i love about being in publishing deals bruce is if i ever perform and i do poorly i just say well i'm a songwriter i'm not supposed to be good anyway (laughs) so (laughs) it makes for a really good excuse to (laughs) to have a bad night on stage but it's a it's a really great thing man and so if if your goal is to not be an artist but you want to write songs that artists can relate to and record and release and a publishing deal is, is such a wonderful thing, um, to get into. And there are still so many publishers in Nashville as well as LA and New York and Atlanta is really a buzz right now. Hmm. So any of those regions, you know, that you can tap into, I suggest doing that and reaching out to publishers. And, uh, another great way to do that is to connect with people that already have publishing deals. Hmm. And if you do that, and you can collaborate with them and that allows their publishing company to go out and pitch those songs. You get to retain your publishing, but still be able to create a relationship with their publisher to be able to get in front of them. That's one thing that, that, you know, this, this pandemic has kind of changed a little bit is that a lot of people have been doing zoom and you don't get, you don't have those relationships, but now, as it's as things are hopefully getting back to normal, people are starting to go back into publishing houses now in L.A. and in New York, Nashville, Atlanta, all those places in the U.K. as well. And so the more people that you can find and connect with that are already in publishing deals, I really suggest doing that because that gives you a direct in. Yeah, that's publishing smart. companies, you know, years ago, uh, I'm talking, you know, seventies and eighties. I wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't quite alive then, but, um, you know, we've, we've heard all these stories of, uh, especially, you know, country, country music songwriters and, and artists of knocking on doors of record labels and publishing companies trying to go in and play them a few songs. And those days are, are, you know, long gone. That doesn't happen anymore. So if you want a direct line to a, a publisher, find people that are already signed, people that you really enjoy their work mm. and that you think that you could offer something uh, to their work. Yeah, Reach out smart. to them, connect with them, collaborate with them, and then start building your relationships around that. And 
eventually, if things are going well, you're going to have a chance to sit down with their publisher. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And speaking of helping the up and comers, go ahead and talk about the before you record course that you created, why you Ah. created it, what it consists of, how and where people can purchase it, those types of details. I created the before you record course because really I, I have been on pretty much every single side of it, being a studio owner, being an engineer, being a producer, a songwriter, an artist, all mm. of those things I have, and working with some just amazing talent. And years ago when I first started my my artist career, um, before I retired from, from the artist side of things the first time, <laughs> um, at the ripe old age of like 24, you know, um, I, I had a great producer and was able to be around a lot of really great producers who were, you know, 20 and 25 and 30 year veterans in the industry that had cut major, major records. And it was from those guys that I learned how to produce and being in the studio, I was around guys that were 10, 15, 25 year veterans of, of engineering and recording. And from those guys, I learned how to engineer and mixers and et cetera, et cetera. Same with songwriting as well. But there was so much of this, like this took time. This was not all in a matter of a week that this happened. This took a lot of time. And so there were so many questions. There were, I remember my first time in a studio in Nashville. The first time I ever recorded demos was in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of magic that that, uh, has come from Muscle Shoals. If you haven't seen the documentary, highly suggest that to any of your listeners. Um, if they love this show, I know they're going to love the Muscle Shoals documentary. It's uh, so rich in history. And, yeah, I'll second and that. I've, I've seen um, it as well. I'll, I'll second that recommendation. Yeah, isn't it great? Yeah. We should watch it, Bruce. I'm going to be <laughs> in Orlando tomorrow. We should just get together and I'll bring the popcorn and we'll watch it. Um, so, uh, but, you know, all of that took so much time. And my first time in the studio was in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. It was a terrifying experience. And then my first time in Nashville with, you know, an actual working as, uh, with, with, with a producer, um, was an absolutely terrifying experience to me. I didn't understand the lingo and the jargon and all that. I had no idea what these guys were talking about. They were, it was like they were speaking in code <laughs> to each other and they were using these fancy words and, you know, what's a one, four, one, five here and a six minor on this. And, you know, and, and there's arpeggios here and I didn't know what was going on, man. Mm-hmm. I was so lost. Mm-hmm. And, and beyond that, there was so much more than just the lingo and the jargon that goes along with it. There was so many things like union fees and you know, all these things, man, and preparation. And so over the years, I kind of, you know, I accumulated all of that information and all of that knowledge. And so a couple of years ago, I was thinking about it and I, I thought, you know, man, what a, it really the way that it came about, Bruce, was. I was producing, um, uh, you know, several different artists and many of them, it was their first project that they had recorded. And so what I found was that I was having to send them all of this information, or I was having to send texts or emails or phone calls and saying, okay, so we're, we're recording your record on Friday. This is what I need from you today. I need these lyric sheets with this information. I need those lyric sheets typed this way Yeah. with you know, this kind of spacing, I need all of your work tapes, just your simple, uh, phone recordings of mm-hmm. the songs, mm-hmm. you know, from start to finish. And I was having to explain all of this stuff and then having to explain what Friday was going to be like mm. and, and the entire process. And I, I remember one day I thought, God, man, how many times have I done this? <laughs> this is like, getting exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I have to do this every single time. And why don't I just like make a PDF or something to where I can just send it to them and go, okay, here's everything that you need to know before we go into the studio. Here's everything that I need. Here's the format that I need it in. Here's the format that you need it in. This is, you know, print this, do that. And so because of that, I eventually, one day I was like, why don't you just make a course, dummy? I just, <laughs> just make a course and just make it, don't keep it for yourself and, and only give it to, to clients. you know, artists that you're yeah. working with, yeah. you know, give it to everybody because there are 
tons of people all over the country and all over the world that go, I, you know, I want to do this, but I'm not sure where to start. And man, when it comes to recording music and putting music out, if, you know, if, if you don't know what's going on, you can really spend a ton of money just because of mistakes that you've made because, right. because of lack of knowledge That's right. of, of, of what's happening around you and, and, and what you're doing. And so you go back and you make revisions on things and that costs more money and you do this and you do that. And it's money, 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 money. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, so they say you have to spend what, money to make money. In this case, spend money to save money because what you're going to learn from the course will prevent you from having these redos and all these extra time, extra sessions that you don't need. Where can people purchase the course? You can go to beforeyourecord.com. Ah, okay. Go that's there simple. and it's very simple. It's a very clean interface. Um, the, the course is... Uh, you know, I'd planned on doing that. I actually started it in my studio and this happened right at the time of lockdown. And so I ended up doing it in my living room mm. and that was not the ideal location. It was not the ideal thing to do. Um, but it was, it, it turned out to be kind of a cool thing, uh, because it was, uh, a bit of the grassroots, yep. yeah. which is for anyone that's purchasing um, the before you record course or, or looking into it, that's kind of where you're at. It's grassroots. It's I'm, I'm here and I'm doing it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And good point. So, yeah. So it, it's it about was the a content anyways. It's about what you're saying in there more. So where is he sitting when he's filming this? So clearly there's loads of value there. I want to move on because last month on episode 405 my guest was internationally renowned producer engineer and mix master bill schnee even though that was just six weeks ago drew i'd love to hear you talk about mixing records man uh bill's definitely one to talk to about that that's <laughs> for sure um i man i love it i love producing i love mixing records uh love recording records there's just the entire process, obviously, because I, I do all of those things, but it's so nice to be able to work on something that is not mine. That is someone else's, a different artist, someone else's songs to get away from my things and really be able to enjoy what someone else is doing. Mm. And man, there's just, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's a totally different, uh, part of the brain that you're using. Mm. Uh, as opposed to, you know, writing songs for yourself, things like that. It's just, uh, and it's tactile. I love that, but man, it's just, it's magic. It's absolutely magic. I love it so much. And I, I, uh, I would do it every single day. I produce a new record every day if I could. Wow. Well, as we've been hearing, you wear lots and lots of hats, but on top of everything you do professionally, there is also the personal side and making time for family life. I believe you have a daughter. Can you talk about that version of Drew Smith? Uh, I Well, Bruce, I'm still learning that version mm. of Drew Smith. She's, she's nine. Uh, she's, my, um, she's my girlfriend's daughter, and uh, her name is Reagan. And man, she is, uh, she's really, she's such a joy to me. She's a special kid. She's, um, she's a lot cooler than me. <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> she, uh, she's, uh, at nine years old, she's already, you know, very successful. She's a model for Abercrombie kids. Wow. She's a, yeah, she's a Nike model. Wow. You go into Nike stores, you'll see her. Uh, on big posters and signage and things like that. She's on all the Abercrombie Kids sites. Um, she just did a thing with American Girl. They, uh, the you, you know the the American Girl dolls yeah, that have been yeah. around for years. They had some artists come in and and do a reimagining of American Girl, hmm. and uh, she was hired to be a human version of one of these reimagined American girl dolls. Oh my gosh. And it was really an incredible thing. And she sings and she dances and she, she plays instruments. She's picking up a wow. uh, violin. So, um, while she's learning that, I might send her to live with you for a while, Bruce. <laughs> um, 
but she's she's such a talented kid man she's she's super special to me and i never ever thought that uh that I would be so in love with something. It's a cool thing. Yeah, and as much as we're laughing, you know, I was expecting you to say, listen, I want to tell anyone out there listening who is a performer, chasing a music career is important, and yes, absolutely, pursue your dream, but make time for your family. And here you are making it sound like, well, she's so busy to begin with that even if I try to make time for her, she's on the go herself. (laughs) (laughs) She is, man. She doesn't care about what I'm doing. She's got her own thing going on, you know, and she's in New York all the time doing these photo shoots and and hair and makeup. And and I'm, I'm trying to put words on paper and so it's a it's a cool thing. Her her mom is uh, her, her her mom is so special to me, and she's a she's a wonderful mom, a wonderful parent, and uh, she comes from a great family. Her dad's great, uh, so I'm I'm very very blessed, and they make it really easy uh, for for me to be able to balance the two. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're in the home stretch here, but I do want to give you a chance to talk about the days when you were touring. As I said in the intro, coast to coast. Can I convince you to give us one crazy road story from back in the day? We were in Flagstaff, Arizona, and uh, I was I was traveling with a band at the time. We had a van and a trailer, and there was a little. We had been to the, I think we'd been to the Grand Canyon that morning, and we were headed to Vegas, and uh, we stopped in Flagstaff just to check it out for the afternoon. And we'd parked in this little RV and bus parking area beside this public park. And we had found uh, a music store right up the street, like just a couple blocks away. Mm-hmm. And so we walk up to this music store and uh, on our way back, I had this drummer at the time, Pat, long, long hair. He was, uh, he was part Native American. And uh, he, had, uh, he had taken one of my bandanas and put it on his head and uh, just to walk around town and because he had you know again he had really long hair and he had some tattoos on his arms and on our way back to the van to get ready to leave he sees a thrift store down the street and he said uh i'm gonna pop in this thrift store you guys want to go i said no 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 we're good you know you go ahead and we'll just wait for you in the van and so he goes in there we go back to the van and we're sitting there and uh, a couple of minutes later i see i see a ambulance kind of roll down the street and they park and I see a fire truck a few minutes later and they come down the street, no lights or siren and they park. And then there's, I see cops running around everywhere. I said, man, what, what's going on out here? This is wild. You know, something's definitely happened. So here comes Pat finally out of the thrift store. He walks down the street and he's walking to the van and, and he hops in the back and, uh, my buddy Wes puts the van into drive and we start pulling out of this little rv and bus parking area beside this public park and before we could even get out onto the street we're surrounded by flagstaff pd Hmm. light sirens the whole i mean surrounded they all jump out guns drawn pointed at the van whoa (laughs) and we're thinking my man what did what did my drummer do (laughs) what, what did he do while he was in that thrift store you know what's going on and so there had uh, there had apparently been a call to nine one one by apparently several people that um, that this Native American guy with long hair and a bandana and tattoos it fit in fairness Bruce it fit his description to uh, a T okay and he had a knife and he was running around okay. threatening people wow and so yeah we all end up at, at gunpoint and being pulled out of the van oh my gosh and. Uh, they shook him down and it took a while to get it all sorted out. But man, I thought, I thought, well, that's it. I'm going to be in Flagstaff jail for, for the next 10 years for whatever old Patsy did. And man, I'll be danged if, uh, if that night, if I didn't wake up at the Hoover dam with a, with a German shepherd canine, uh, Mm. jumping in the van with me, we got searched at Hoover dam, but I, I thought, and we better get somewhere, man, and just be still for a while because <laughs> this keeps happening to us. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Wow, wow. Well, we're going to close today with Drew's new single, a track called The Truth. Before I let you go and I play that song, Drew, share with the audience all about this one. 
and this is a brand new one. And this is um, as many songs as I've written with other people over the years. I mean, into the thousands now. This is one of the few that I've written by myself. It's an extremely personal song to me. Mm. I've I've made some really big personal and uh, uh, spiritual changes this year, and just a lot a lot of changes this year. And it's it has been a um, it, it's for me the past I'd say five months or so uh, ha- have made 2021 my year of transition, and it's been a crazy thing, and it's not been it's not been easy. But uh, this song is is kind of my uh, confessional. Mm. Put some music on tape. Wow, wow, fantastic, fantastic, Drew. This has been tremendous. I'm grateful for your time and thank you for coming in now here. This entertainment really enjoyed it. Bruce, thank you so much, man. I'm so grateful to you, and I've, I've had such a great time with you today. Awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. That will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to vocalist, songwriter, studio owner, producer, and senior mixing engineer, Drew Smith. Do visit his official website at drewsmithlive.com. Again, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net and then engage with him on social media. This morning, I followed Drew on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm sure he would appreciate you doing the same. Check out his YouTube channel as well. Hit the subscribe button there and then watch and like the videos on his channel. Remember that he is even on TikTok as well. For that matter, tell Drew that you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. You heard him talk about the Before You Record course. Do get yourself onto that as well so you can learn from a seasoned music pro. And as much as you can and should follow Drew on Spotify, the better way to support him is to purchase downloads of his music. There is a link on DrewSmithLive.com to his page on Apple Music. Again, we are right up against Christmas and the December 31st expiration date on the exclusive offer I made two weeks ago on NHTE episode 409 with Carrie Underwood's guitar player Chad Jeffers for my online class at interviewtipscourse.com. Listen to that conversation with Chad so you can hear the details I gave out that will allow you to save on the price of the online on-demand course that gives you close to 30 tips to maximize interviews you're doing as the guest on radio, TV, podcasts, and more. Plus, it gives you more than 15 resources you can use to find more interviews. Don't delay on listening to that episode, purchasing with a limited time discount, and then getting yourself on the way to getting more results from getting interviewed. For now, that will do it for episode 411. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Drew Smith. This is the one he just talked about. It's called The Truth. You should have never cried. I should have never lied. That night in Jackson. I should have come clean. Told you everything. Instead of all this acting. Like who I want to be. Instead of who I really am. It's hard to be open, baby, I'm broken, and I was terrified. If you'd have ever known, you'd have been gone before the next sunrise. You were so put together, and even my mess is a hard mess. So what chance did I have?
True. 